Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Everybody! Wow! Oh my Just a goodness! Few Another week. Notes before we get started. Another Ooh. podcast. Hey, Jenny. Uh, I would like to tell you and all of our listeners who don't <gasps> know yet uh, about a podcast that is fucking awesome. Um, up in the intro, we're going to be trying to do a bit of spotlighting on uh, BIPOC creations podcasts. Obviously, uh, that's why you're here. So that's probably a thing you like. But other creative work, other artists, other organizations, etc. And today's spotlight uh, is a podcast, Jenny, I know you've heard of it. It's called Métis in Space. Uh, oh, yes. And let me just tell you their description. Uh, Métis in Space hilariously deconstructs the science fiction genre through a decolonial lens. Join hosts Molly Swain and Chelsea Vowell as they drink a bottle of red wine and from a tipsy decolonial perspective review a sci-fi movie or television episode featuring indigenous people's tropes and themes. Jenny, the reason we learned about this podcast is because their inaugural episode was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a little episode you may have heard of called Pangs. Uh, That's right. It's so good, and you should listen to it. And that was their first episode ever. They're in season five now. Um, and when I, Jenny, when I did some research on this podcast uh, to like grab mm-hmm. their description and stuff like that, which, by the way, you can find them at uh, Métis in Space, which is M-E-T-I-S in space.com, I learned that they're on a network. I don't know that they've been on the network since the beginning, but maybe they have. But they're on a network, and it's called Indian and Cowboy Podcasts, which is uh, the world's premier member-supported indigenous podcast network network. So that's really fucking cool, too. And they are member supported. So if you're looking for a way to uh, give back, uh, this is a podcast specific way to give back. Uh, Indian and Cowboy Podcasts, uh, their website is IndianandCowboy.com. And uh, Métis in Space is one of their uh, podcasts. So that's really fun. And you should check it out. Start with Buffy and then you're probably not going to stop because they're hilarious and wonderful and just gigantic nerds. So it rules. Hell yes. Speaking of ruling, there can be only one winner (laughs) of the Sexual Tension Awards, as we all know. And I'm here to tell you who that winner is. It's not Anya watching Spike and BuffyBot, who only received 15% of the vote. Mm. It's not Xander and Spike, even though it should have been, because they only got 20% of the vote. It's not Giles and his beloved Gord, because they only got 24% of the vote. Robbed. It's fan favorite Spuffy with 41% of the vote. Congrats, Spike and Buffy. How exciting for you both. Yes, uh, yes. Trophies in the mail. Yes. I mean, we knew that Giles and the Gord probably weren't going to win because the Spuffy fans can take everything very seriously. They're putting in their votes. We get it. We hear you. We see you. Some of us may even be one of you. Uh, <laughs> moving along, uh, just a few little news items from us. Just in case you missed it, uh, we have new merchandise We have hoodies, we have tank tops, we have crop tops, all of which say, why are men in gigantic block letters? Um, Question on everyone's minds. Yeah, tis the season, as I like to say, Jenny. Uh, Tis always the season for a why are men piece of merchandise. So uh, if you want to grab one for yourself or one for all of your friends, you can do that by going to bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on shop. 
Also, heads up, we have a couple of events coming up. Um, you already, if you're part of uh, my book club over in Patreon land, you know that we are going to be discussing A Blade So Black on August 1st. But we have two other events that we haven't spoken about yet. Uh, one, we are partnering with the lovely ladies at Angel on Top, and we are going to, Jenny and I, do an Angel live watch for the Angel on Top patrons. That is going to be Saturday, August 8th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. The Angel on Top listenership voted, and you might imagine that we're going to be watching a very faith-heavy episode. You can learn more about that uh, at our on our events page, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on events. You can find it on the calendar there, August 8th. And hey, uh, if you're a $10 patron of ours um, or higher, you can join us for our second Patreon Zoom hang where Jenny plays yes. some songs. We chat. You ask us questions. We show you our cats and dogs and other items. It's wonderful. Oh my God. August 15th. Uh, uh, that's also a Saturday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, again, all of our events can be found on our event page. Yes. And hey, wow, special guest, Bess Rogers. Welcome back to the pod in the role of Willow. You'll hear her singing this episode's song mm, at the mm, end of the app, mm, and she mm. crushed it so hard. Uh, we're always happy to have Bess on the pod representing for Willow uh, and this time in a, you know, a little bit of a different way. Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, Jenny, uh, this song fucking rules. And also when I first heard it, the your vocals, you and Bess do not sound similar when you sing, but because of the effects on the vocals, it, like I think it's good to know that it's Bess because you almost might think it's you. You, you sound similar yeah. um, well, well, to well. her in this song. So anyway, oh my God, buckle up. Uh, it's, a, it's a real fun <laughs> one. Um, perhaps the bad eggs of season five, would you say? Wow. A bit more wow. nuanced, a bit deeper, but... But uh, I think it's a hit. Okay. <laughs> Jenny, before we dive into the episode, I was hoping to share with you an email. Uh, we never do emails in the main uh, podcast episodes, and, and I just think it's fun. And so we're going to try it out here, see how you feel. But we got to this email like moments before recording the intro, and I thought, why not read it before we hop in? Are you ready? Yes. I'm ready. Okay. So this is from last week's episode. You may remember it. It was called Intervention. Um, and Ben <laughs> writes in, Hey, my name is Ben. I've never emailed you before. I've been listening for years, and I never felt like I had special expertise on any of the things you talked about <laughs> until now. In the intervention, Please let it be bone bleaching. Please let it be bone it's bleaching. Not, but Jenny, we did get so many uh, emails on bone bleaching. So I'm sorry that yes. I didn't bring one of those to the table. We have plenty. We have plenty. We'll bring them into the mailbag <laughs> episode proper. <laughs> Uh, this is not about that. However, Ben continues, in the intervention episode, you talked about whether Spike's brain chip would allow him to punch things like hobbits that are human-esque. I am a journalist who covers technology, and your question reminded me of the Internet of Things and Edge Computing. <laughs> Keep going. I'm fanning myself, All right? Ben. The thing about Spike's chip is that it appears to function on its own. They didn't implant some kind of sensor on the outside of Spike's body to feed data to the chip. So the only inputs into the chip come from Spike himself. In other right. words, 
It's up to Spike to decide whether the creature he's harming is human. Something about that decision must produce a signal that the chip picks up on. This blew my mind. And so many of you were like really ruminating on this Hobbit question. So I thought, why not make your brains explode (laughs) more along with us? Uh, Ben continues, Hobbits look pretty human-y. So my guess is Spike would see them as human and therefore not be able to punch them. Um, I would also think at this point that the chip has conditioned Spike in such a way that he probably errs on the side of caution if something looks human unless it poses a threat. Gollum Mm. looks less human, so maybe Spike could fight him. Uh, If I'm right, and this is where you can think on this for the rest of the episode, then there's another implication. If Spike was tricked into thinking that a human was not a human or found a way to convince himself of it, then he would be able to harm humans without triggering the chip. Wow, Ben. Wow, Ben. Do you think it's do you think it's Ben uh, paging Dr. Ben who wrote this email in? Yes, paging Dr. Ben. <laughs> Give us your whole file on Spike's chip. So anyway, I just thought that would be fun. Now you have a little bit more to chew on, Jenny. And when you're thinking about all of your Spike v. Hobbit, Spike v. Gollum. Always. Uh, Spike v. <laughs> Smeagol. Where is the line? You have more data from Ben. Thank you for writing in, Ben. And uh, if you want to yeah. write us an email about bone bleaching, about Hobbits, uh, about anything really at all, you can do that at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. And uh, perhaps we'll pop it into an intro at a future episode or in a mailbag because we'll have another one before this season is over. Ba-ba-da-ba! Yay! Hey, are you ready to talk about I'm some tough fucking love, Jenny? Freaking ready! Let's do it! Yes! Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one by one, spoiler free. I can't wait to get to the series finale so I can compare my first episode and last episode intro. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. <laughs> the the DB on the volume, I think, will have a, a drastic change. I think yeah. you get louder every episode. Uh, <laughs> I am, hi, Kristen Russo. And hey, this week we are talking about season five, episode 19, Tough Love. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast every week, including this week, for an original song written by Jenny that recaps the Buffy episode we are discussing. Tough Love was... Written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner Ooh. and directed by David Grossman and originally aired on May 1st, 2001. This is the one where, when Tara falls victim to Glory's incredible power, did Glory write this? Uh, Willow embraces ah. dark magic and launches a counterattack. Whew! And how? Let me start out by saying... Mm. With regards to this episode, mm-hmm. Rebecca Rand Kirshner. Wow. Well, she wrote some episodes of Freaks and Geeks. Ooh. She wrote some episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She EP'd on Gilmore Girls for wow. uh, a while. Busy lady. And Plaza. also was the showrunner of a couple seasons of 90210, not Beverly Hills 90210, and not like BH 90210 or whatever. <laughs> there have been like so many permutations of 90210, but she. Worked on the uh, 90210, like, a la carte 
title. Okay, so, but also wait, this is not hold on, the stop, most important. Because I okay, look, okay, I just okay. I need to clarify here and fucking now. 90210 a la carte is like our 90210 from the 90s? No, it's the one after that. So so Beverly Hills 90210 is my 90210. Is okay, because yeah, I don't right. know how to talk about it. And every time I reference it, I feel like I'm saying the wrong thing and people are misunderstanding me. Just say 90210, you know, the one with Luke Perry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you the can old, drop the Beverly Hills. Yeah, it's the old lady. The old lady 90210 <laughs> oh, yeah. is the one. Uh, sorry, Jenny, um, continue. <gasps> that's okay. So Rebecca Rand Kirshner, I just wanted to tell you, uh, went to Harvard. She was on the Harvard Lampoon as an editor and artist. She's the, she's the daughter of astrophysics professor Robert <laughs> Kirshner, the great granddaughter of Olympic hurdler William Rand, and the descendant of Rebecca Nurse, who was executed as a witch in Salem in 1692. What? That's right. What How do you think about you that? How did you even stumble? Like, what, what research hole did you fall well, into? I recently watched Gilmore Girls, and so I have seen mm. Rebecca Rand Kirshner's name flash across the screen like a million times in my recent memory. So I was like, when I was looking at the episode wiki, I was like, hmm, I wonder what else she's worked on. I clicked through. I read a little bit about her. And uh, when I got to the part about how she was the descendant of someone who was executed as a witch in Salem, I thought you would want to know about it. I do. And you were right. Thank you for telling me. And I'm going to speak on behalf of all of our listeners to say thank you, because I would always like to know some witch history. Witch Witch story. So, uh, yeah, this is the one with uh, fucking Willow. I mean, dang. Uh, it's it's the one where we cry a lot because Tara. Have you noticed that the one that we where we cry a lot is every episode this season? <laughs> yeah. Listen, we warned everybody. We said we're about to slide down the back half of five and we are sliding down the back half of five right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, so this episode starts with Professor Lillian, who I fucking adore. Buffy's poetry yeah. professor. Professor Jenny, right? And he, this reminds me of way back when, when we were in Teacher's Pet. And do you remember the name of the teacher? It's it's a lyric in your song uh, for Teacher's Pet, but I can't, I couldn't remember it. Oh. Buffy like puts- The guy who gets beheaded? Yeah. Buffy puts his glasses gently and gingerly back in his little lab pocket coat. It's, um, well, it's Dr. Gregory, of course. Dr. Gregory. He believed in me. Doobity-doo-ba, flippity-flank-flank. So all I'm saying is, Professor Lillian. Okay. He believed in me and Okay, yeah. We love to see- we love to see an educator believe in Buffy, especially because mm-hmm. we've seen some educators uh, be really shitty to Buffy. Yeah, and also this, like, listen, I'm having a lot. I got my period today. I'm having. And a- we've seen one educator um, surveil Buffy as she slept in <laughs> Riley's bed. Yikes. This is a severe improvement. Um, I, I have a lot of feelings in general, but especially today on my rewatch, I was having a lot of feelings. And so when I... Got to the part in this first scene. So so Buffy is dropping out of school um, for the semester because her mom has just died. She's tasked with, um, you know, taking care of Dawn and that's sort of the tough love. I mean, there's like lots of ways into the title of this episode, Tough Love. And one of them is the like tough love that Buffy feels she has to give to Dawn to make sure she toes the line and yada yada. But in this first scene where Buffy is with Professor Lillian and she's like, 
she's kind of still practicing these, like how to, how to say her feelings. Like it's like an extension of the last episode where she was telling Giles she loved him and telling Dawn she loved her, whatever. She's like taking a minute to tell Professor Lillian, this class meant a lot to me and you did something good for me and thank you. It's like very unbuffy that moment. Um, and so that made my heart squinch a little bit. But then when she was like, you know, I really loved this class and like, they started talking and you realize it's a poetry class. And then I realized like, can you imagine Buffy reading poetry? No, because when does Buffy ever have time to read poetry? Like, does she ever get to read any books? Does she get to do anything that is outside of being a slayer? It just made me feel really sad for her because now she's dropping out of school because her mom died. But even before her mom died, like she doesn't get to have like extracurricular activities. She doesn't get to like think about art a ton because she's busy just like saving the world. Well, yeah, but after a long day of saving the world, you know, she can kick back in front of an open fire and Angel can read some poetry aloud to her in the original French. (laughs) And then maybe she can swing across town to the cemetery, pop by Spike's crypt, and he can write some bloody awful poetry about her. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, true. She can live in a world of poetry without reading it herself. Mm. The poetry exists around her. I see. I see. I'm just saying, like, I think the Watchers Council could stand to fund the arts a little bit more. So it's all my that's my point. Anyway, you want to fire Ben? Let's go fire Ben. Let's do it. Paging Dr. Ben, you're fired. (laughs) Uh, this guy hasn't been at work in two freaking weeks, so we assume Gloria has had full, uh, you know, custody of their shared body for those two weeks. What's she been up to for two straight weeks? Taking a lot of fucking bubble baths, apparently. I mean, she talks in the bubble bath about how she's going to figure out who the key is because Buffy's only got so many friends, so it's got to be one of them. Why hasn't she spent the last two weeks killing all of Buffy's friends? And why does she need such a big plan to do it? She's a god. <laughs> I blame the minions, honest to God. I've never seen yeah. such shoddy uh, workmanship as the, as the minions. Shoddy minionry. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ben is just straight up not shown up for two weeks. And like, you know, I'm sad for Ben that he gets fired. But also, thank fucking God. This this guy is not suited for medical care. He could change no, no, into no, no, a no, hell no, god no. at any moment. Like, this is not safe. So good decision on Sunnydale Hospital. There's this moment in this conversation, and it's not the only moment like this in the episode where the doctor's like, sure, your dog ate your homework, this, that, the other. Maybe there's a wicked demonic creature living (laughs) inside your body that forces you to do its bidding, but no. Like these, these like direct fake outs. It happens later with the principal and Dawn. She's like, Dawn, I think we all know Dawn's not just a little girl. (laughs) There's no reason for this stuff to be happening, but it's happening. It is, but also like, you know, I mean, you know, we don't have to go that deep into this because we talk about it a lot, but we're in Sunnydale and like I know that the the general like center the gooey center of Sunnydale apart from the hellmouth is like the willful ignorance of the population of Sunnydale but it's still even if you're like willfully ignorant of something it seems especially uh atrocious and hilarious to like pretend like demons don't even exist at all um yeah like who are you trying to protect you just you're had, only lying to yourself literally you just had a queller demon like suctioning across your ceiling not that long ago you had a fucking vamp naked vampire vamping about in your morgue like you, you, it's not that funny to joke about demons dude you live on the fucking hell mouth 
<laughs> um, so I think like the like effects department got really bored of changing uh, Ben's face into Glory's face and Glory's face into Ben's face. And they were like, oh, what about a fucking hand morph? So we get this like Ben goes in to take off his scrubs and uh, leave his, his job. And he is really angry and he feels like Glory coming through him and he's banging his fist on is very Hulk-like, but banging his fist, banging his fist, banging his fist. But of course, instead of the like hairy Hulk hand, he gets the perfectly manicured uh, glory hand. And Bing. I just have a question, and I know the answer is metaphysics, but like, how do her how nails, her nails get done? so tidy? And how does yeah. she have lipstick on? You know what I mean? Like, is there a dressing room? It feels room? like the minions do her nails, right? Doesn't that just seem... Definitely the minions do her nails. Maybe when they body swap... Or whatever, take control, like, they are instantly reverted to, like, wherever Wherever they they left off in terms of, like, her nails growing out or whatever. Okay, so, like, she had just freshly applied lipstick before Ben took over. Ben didn't take the lipstick. Glory kept it for Glory's next arrival. Also, she had control of their shared body for two weeks. He got to work, and then she took over again. This feels out of balance. (laughs) Didn't she just say in the previously on that she's losing control of Ben? <laughs> what the did. hell? She did. She's not. And maybe she got right back in there because she had the same thought you had, Jenny, which was, fuck, I had two fucking weeks. I didn't do anything. I better get my ass in gear. <laughs> <laughs> she looked up from playing Skyrim. It was like, blink, uh, except blink. For, two weeks have gone by. That's a bad theory because the next scene we go to fucking Glories and she's in the bubble bath. So <laughs> she obviously didn't get straight to work. It is the notorious bubble bath scene. We know from talking to Claire that this water is ice cold. (laughs) Poor Claire. Claire. (laughs) So brave, so strong. She's drinking a mimosa. She's got a Godiva chocolate assortment all laid out. Uh, she's the got minions. like there's, a, there's like a three there's they're all blindfolded and there's like a chocolate mimosa loofah is to frankincense myrrh and gold situation mm-hmm. happening here right yep. this is like a three yep. wise men do you think that the gold is the mimosa the myrrh is the loofah and the frankincense is the chocolate i say frankincense is loofah mm. chocolate is myrrh Chocolate is myrrh. Okay. Well, right in. Buffering Based the vampires. On absolutely nothing. Come let us know. Yeah, let us know what you think. Um, I fucking love that Glory calls Spike follically fried vamp. Like, just sometimes you just want to chew on uh, the language in the show, and that is one yeah. of them. Because you, the minions have a turn of phrase. They can really go hard on the glorificus wordage. But it turns out mm-hmm, Glory can mm-hmm. go pretty hard herself. Duh-huh. And Glory decides, speaking of going hard, that she minions can stand aside. She's going to figure out who the key is. I don't know why. Uh, again, why doesn't she just kill all of them? I mean, honestly, uh, like, like these guys are horrible at their job. Get rid of them. We don't need them. Yeah. On over to the principal's office. It's unclear where Dawn will go to school after she gets out of middle school because didn't the high school burn down? But let's not worry about that right now. Principal Stevens is a dream. Yeah. Uh, She's got strong uh, maternal vibes. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's tough but fair. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. She's very, very... very feeling about her. Really, definitely puts Principal Flutie to shame, I'm going to say. Like, I really... Oh, my God. You know, I really feel like she's doing a better job here. Um, Also, just a small moment... Uh, of silence for Dawn's blue pleather button-down shirt. I feel like 
It's, it's more of a jacket than a button down. Is it what is it made out of? It seems to be right, like a sort of like denim jacket pattern hewn from plastic. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so obviously, like the crux of this moment and where it leads us is that uh, Dawn is Dawn is stealing earrings, as we saw last episode. Dawn is cutting class. Um, you know. The combination, the one-two punch of uh, finding out you're a mystical key and then losing your mom is a lot. And um, she is acting out, understandably. And uh, mm-hmm, the principal, mm-hmm. when she leaves, when Dawn leaves the room, essentially says to Buffy, what Buffy, I think, already knows, uh, you you have to, like, sort of take care of this kid because otherwise they're going to send somebody to take her away. You know, you have to, like, show that you're fit to be a guardian for Dawn, which, like, begs the fucking question I know that this is like a shit dad. I know her dad is a shitty dad, but her mother literally died. Like this guy doesn't fucking show. He doesn't show up. He doesn't like nothing. He's just letting these girls take care of themselves. What the fuck? Play the fucking jingle. So mad. The patriarchy. I had I have another place in the episode for the jingle, Jenny, and I'll play it again. But I just got real worked I, up. I know there's no stopping you. Uh, but yeah, Hank Summers is a real piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's important to note that like we, while this is where Buffy gets this information, we don't expressly know exactly what's been said. Which kind of like you know when you find out definitely what she said at the, yeah. towards the end of the episode it makes buffy's behavior between now and then yes make a lot more sense but yes and i think we'll get there in a i think that but i mean i don't know i guess i i knew before rewatching today what the deal was but i do feel like if you're really sitting with where buffy is in this narrative arc her behavior makes sense even before you get that reveal i mean She's got, she's always had a lot on her shoulders, you know, AKA the weight of the world. And it's even heavier now. So I, I have space for her. You know who I don't have space for, Jenny? Well, ugh. is it uh, Anya in her worst episode ever? Uh, is her worst episode since she granted a wish for Cordelia? Seriously, Anya is like really, really incredibly uh, xenophobic, I believe is the specific word that you would use for Anya here. Uh, Xander uses prejudiced. Um, she's really like, I, I don't understand how she wound up on this track of, uh, American history, but here she is. She's spot on about her first observation, which is the, the ideology that has shaped this country. Uh, Willow is like democracy and Anya is like capitalism, a free market dependent on the profitable yeah. exchange of goods for currency. Correct. Anya, no. But, Anya. But, but that is, but that is correct. This country is founded in the exchange of uh, goods for currency in many ways. And Jenny, you and I are sort of like in the middle of a read for our reading and discussion group of uh, Ijeoma Alua's. Uh, so you want to talk about race and reading that and some other texts, really digging into uh, how this country was built, how uh, race was created around the the idea that there had to be some way to get free labor from black people to make this country oh. run. Like this, this country is is rooted in these systems of, of racism and, and capitalism is woven in there too. So Anya's not 
wrong. It's just that she's on the celebratory side of the line of like, yay, America. Um, and like, you know, throws in a comment about like French people not tipping um, as like a, a like it's sort of like a nod to where like as an American, I believe that like we are better than everybody else outside of the United States of America kind of deal. Yeah. Anya's like, Digging deep and coming up with fucking some fistfuls of like MAGA vibes. Um, yeah. And it sucks. Anya, you know, I love you, but this is not what we love to see from you. It isn't. And I, I'm going to say it, Jenny. I also wish for um, more here from Xander and Willow because I took special note of the fact that, like, because Xander calls her out, right? He's like, um, you know, hey, Anya, how about we be a little bit less prejudiced? And the thing he says right after that is not us, just you. And I just feel like, mm, hey, man, this is a great opportunity for you to all talk about the systems of oppression that exist in this country and really help Anya yeah. to understand and better educate yourselves. Uh, don't put it all on Anya. She's learning from within the system that she exists inside of. So, you know, talk yeah, about she's it, She's essentially guys. a baby, in a she lot is. of ways. She is. She is. It's like, we, I grew up learning that Christopher Columbus sailed the fucking ocean blue. God damn it. But yeah, but she's like hitting all the, like she's hitting the American exceptionalism. She's hitting I heart free market economies. <laughs> she's hitting ageism and xenophobia. She's really doing it all. She is. And please stop. Uh, thankfully, Buffy and Dawn enter to stop her uh, downward spiral into uh, xenophobia and uh, other forms of prejudice. Um, and so Buffy and Dawn enter. And Xander is really, like, very supportive, uh, as supportive as a bra, um, is, I believe, the message that he's trying to get across. To he, can't, he can't think of anything that's supportive other than a bra. We talked about jock straps last week. They're supportive. We talked about jock straps last week. I'm thinking about like a flying buttress, maybe Keystone <laughs> and Bridge, you know, a baby Bjorn. Um, Bobby wants to have a grown ups talk with Giles, in which she's like, Giles, can you be the grown up? I don't want to be, which makes a lot of sense because she's fucking like 20 years old and like suddenly is thrust into this position where she's the guardian she's transitioning right from sister to guardian yes and that is a huge deal she has not i mean she weirdly has had this like unimaginable responsibility for you know the last few years but she hasn't had a responsibility this unimaginable yeah. before and it's massive yeah it is massive and and as like you know i don't know how i would feel as like a 20 year old watching the show but i know that as an almost 40 year old watching the show i there's this moment when buffy says to giles like you're more grown up than me right and and like if you're watching that and you're 20 maybe you think that like maybe you think that like giles is more grown up but as the almost 40 year old that i am i watched it and was like yeah no like none of us are ever we're always just making Making it up as we go along. We're always just like doing what we can do. And Giles is, I think, correct. I think I'm part of me thinks that Giles maybe should have given her a beat, like a little bit more leeway in this moment, maybe steer her towards that way. But Giles knows Buffy. And um, maybe what Buffy needed here was the was the line drawn and Giles draws it. He's going to draw a line yeah. with a minion later that's going to make me have to fan myself. But we'll uh -huh. get there. Yeah, what's important, I think, is the way that he says, I may be a grown-up, but you're her family. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so this is all great. 
Then Buffy comes out from the back after making one more last ditch attempt. Are, are you sure? Like, you don't want to do it for me, Giles? And like, he's like, no, no, no. Teach a man to fish. Teach mm-hmm. a slayer to fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dawn is standing in the middle of a human triangle that is being laid out by the bodies of Xander, Willow, and Tara. They're doing active geometry. Buffy is furious. I don't buy, actually, that Buffy is like so so scared that that like willow would be like hey i've been reading about how kids learn math better when you stimulate their visual learning pattern that buffy would still be like i buy it i don't know i buy it because i I mean i think it makes sense when you like you know when any of us try on a new skill we usually go too hard in one direction before we like recalibrate to the middle yes look at Anya, for example. Uh, yeah. Her pendulum um, is fucking in the stratosphere right now. <laughs> but like, I, I think that it makes sense. I think that like, she's, Buffy is terrified. She doesn't know how to do this thing. She is just sort of like throwing pasta at the wall, you know, and hoping it fucking sticks. And so I think it makes sense that even though you and I and anyone else probably watching this show can see, yes, of course, Willow is making a lot of sense. Of course, they're having fun and they're learning. This is so great. I think Buffy's blinders are on and she's just like if I'm gonna do it I've gotta fucking do it um, not even delightful geometric wordplay can sway her from this mission I mean this is literal hell math that's happening here hell math here's one problem I have though y'all better get off that floor you know what's on the magic box floor probably like newt dust and like <laughs> residual uh, uh, chicken's feet toenails yeah, and true. True. Who knows what you could accidentally There's do to yourself rolling around? Like troll d- d- debris. Definitely, from the troll. definitely There's, troll sheddings. Yeah, no, no a doubt. A lot of stuff mm-hmm. in there. I agree. But you know what? At the end of high school and even the beginning of college, I definitely was not super concerned with where my body was in proximity to other per- perhaps dirty or yeah, uh, germ the bar was lower surfaces <laughs> my um sure. i had a friend at the time who was was very extreme in a lot of ways and and that manifested as sheer comedy a lot of times and i have this memory of going so there was like a wb store no what's looney tunes wb yeah okay Warner so there, there was a warner brothers store in the mall and yep. marvin the martian yep. was a wb yep. property and so there yep. was yep. a marvin the martian like uh ufo thingy that you could go inside of like for kids not for high school oh, yeah. students and college students but we went into it all the time because we thought we were so fucking funny and one of his favorite jokes was like if there was something left behind he would pick it up and put it in his mouth and there was a French fry on the floor of the Marvin the Martian UFO, and he would make direct eye contact with me and pick up the dirty ass French fry and put it in his mouth and chew it while looking at me dead in the eyes the whole time. It was funny, but I'm not sure how he's still alive, you know? That's horrifying, but actually, I bet his immunity system is, <laughs> yeah. is uh, his immune system is kicking. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, okay, so Willow and Buffy have this really um, important exchange because, oh, God, I can't wait to get to the scene with Tara and Willow and their, like, fight because I think it's just so beautifully, like, getting from point A to point B to point C to point D and their argument is just written wonderfully. 
You want to talk about a world culture fair? That argument is like a uh, relationship, uh, like tour, tour of divorce. every fight you could possibly have. Fucking <laughs> yes. swing on through. It truly is a glorious journey. Like, and the seed is like one of the seeds is like deeply planted in this exchange between Willow and Buffy because you know Buffy has just lost her mom. Tara, we know, has lost her mom, and so. When Willow is saying like, okay, but Buffy, just this, but Buffy, just that, uh, Buffy's like, you don't understand. Um, and and Willow is already feeling uncertain, as it would turn out, about a lot of uh, ways that she stands in her identities in life. And this is one of them. She's really doubting uh, how she can show up for Buffy. And she's like, you know, let it go. Come to the World Culture Fair with me. And Buffy's like, no, like, I have to take care of Dawn now. So that's that. Okay. We get a very quick scene where Glory's like, so it's her. She's the key. <laughs> and then okay. she twists her mustache and it's on to the next scene. No, I have a lot to say about this scene. Actually. Oh, I know it's All really, right. it's really short. Okay. No, maybe not a lot, but I have something to say about this scene because <laughs> Glory is like, okay, so it's Tara. And her, her line, I think specifically is like, wow, the monks made the key with quirks, foibles and passions. And I feel like what she's actually saying is the monks made the key into a lesbian (laughs) yeah the monks made a a a a gay witch key yeah (laughs) so cute like how how unmonk like of them like how how inventive Mm. really throwing me off the scent um and and her delight uh in like the fact that tara is the key and is also a witch and a lesbian uh is very fun and and of course then ends in in devastation but we'll we'll get there uh for now just let me have my titter you may <laughs> thank you jenny and, I are, jenny and i usually record it over the phone only and we are recording over video this time and i feel like we just keep like staring off into the distance at each other to see what are you doing what am i doing yeah what how am doing? i doing <laughs> <laughs> okay so tara and willow having a conversation they're talking about the buffy Oof. and dawn stuff and willow is like yo Buffy's being like really hard on Don and it's like it's tough to to watch. Tara's like trying to express that um she might understand a little bit of where Buffy might be coming from and Willow kind of like takes it in the right like I I don't I'm not like in the club essentially like I don't know what you guys know. So like, you know, how could my opinion be valid? Uh, yeah. but then they almost salvage it and pull it back and they're like mm. talking, you know, just talking, 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 but then oh no. Oh no. oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, Willow says she feels like the junior partner because Tara's been doing everything longer, including gay stuff and witch stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, um, real. I mean, we'll get into woo. the gay stuff um, once you once you take us on this toward uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. argument. Just please keep your hands inside the vehicle until <laughs> we get to the end. Uh, Tara mentions that it frightens her how powerful Willow is getting. And then they talk about Freudian slips, a little nod to Professor Walsh. Uh, Tara is worried. Willow is super defensive. Then there's this whole thing about like, oh, you think I'm going to go back to Boys Town? And like, Tara's like, should I? And Willow's like, sorry, I didn't. How dare she say this? Establish my lesbo street cred uh, before we got in a relationship. You're just the only woman I've ever fallen in love with. So how could you take me seriously? This is... I'm tired. Yeah, it's a lot. But it's... it's Okay, so from like a... I think, A, from a writing standpoint, it's done 
very beautifully. I think most of us can watch this argument. And if you have been in any uh, relationship and gotten in a fight inside of that relationship, you know mm. that this is usually the precise yeah. shape. It's a slippery slope with where a you're sobering like, mirror to look into. You get on the phone with your friend and you're and, and you're like, we just got in a fight. And they're like, what did you fight about? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, What didn't we fight about? We, we somehow fought about everything except for really all she did was leave a cheerio on the floor like I don't know how we wound up where we are but we got here and um and I just think like from that vantage point wow great job writer's room and um and great of course job uh to both actors here but I also think that this is a really interesting place that we go. We, uh, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but we're both queer. Um, so we have a little bit of experience with huh. uh, some of the some of the topics that are hit on in this uh, episode. And, and they get, they start at a point where Willow's feeling insecure. And I think it makes a lot of sense that like one um, sort of like press on that insecure button for her is going to take her to this larger piece of insecurity, of feeling. Mm -hmm. And she catches it in both witchcraft and being queer, but we know that one is a metaphor for the other in this show. So she's she's just, she's feeling like perhaps she's not enough of any of the things. She's not enough of a friend. She's not enough of a witch. She's not enough of a queer person. And uh, Tara, oh. the, th the thing that I find hard to buy in this is Tara's participation in that, even for a, a moment. I just... Tara as a character does not seem like uh, somebody who would wonder or doubt about Willow's intentionality um, or like sexuality. Well, I think I'll direct you back to New Moon Rising. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's you true. You know, and there was, you know, there was some insecurity from Tara about like the inevitable return of Oz. Mm -hmm. And you know, things went the way they went, but like, you know, that I could see that still being in the back of her mind. Also, that's true. Also, Willow is like, <laughs> Willow is really working overtime, bringing up like thing one, thing two, thing three, thing four. And after a certain point, you yeah. know, like it's, it only makes sense that Tara will get riled up and be like, I mean, what? you're saying all this shit. Should I be worried? That's like, true. what the fuck? That actually, that is a really good point. That is a really good point. That, like, it's very obvious that Willow is wrestling with some stuff. So that might be the thing that's that shakes Tara. And, you know, mm -hmm. right now, you know, it's the year 2020. And I think the way that um, Jenny and I talk inside of the podcast and the way that I think most of us are talking within our circles of people that we know um, is a very different place when it comes to bisexuality than where we were in 2001 as a queer community. That's not to say that there were not people who understood bisexuality to be a uh, real and valid uh, sexuality, but it is to say that many of us did, did not. And, and like, I don't think that I would have said, like, I don't believe that bisexuals exist. I had come out as bisexual, but I definitely had been steeped in a, in like my particular corner of queer culture was very, very suspicious of people who were like, like uh, girls who were going to date girls, but they had only dated dudes before that girl. Like there was this really, really deep distrust. And it's where so much of the erasure of the bisexual community and bisexual people, um, you know, is rooted. This is where I wanted to play the patriarchy jingle because I just feel like it all comes back to that. The patriarchy! <laughs> I know we've had a lot of the 
theoretical conversations about like Willow's identity and like how would Willow's identity be yeah. written um, today. Uh, and I can't remember if we have, I can't remember if we have like touched on this specific thing or not, but it's also not out of the question that a lot of people who identify as strictly lesbian yeah, uh, do date men and like having, you know, meaningful yes. relationships with men also doesn't preclude you from mm-hmm. identifying as a lesbian when right. you want to identify as a lesbian. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And, you know, we, we have touched on it, but I think like this is one of those things that will come up and will sort of ring different bells on the platter. <laughs> As we go through it each time. I don't keep my bells on a platter, actually. Oh, where you do you keep your keep bells your... on a platter? Yeah. Where do you keep your on bells? On the bell rack. Oh, They're all on the bell rack. They're in course. the belfry. The bell rack. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and I think I think that we've, we have a long way to go, but we have made uh, pretty big advances in media. And I think that we would have, mm-hmm. we would see, I think a lot um, in, when I talk about like bisexual characters, um, about the magicians in, was it season two where they like aged together? I think that was season three. Season three. Where Quentin and Elliot have a life together. Yeah. And like, uh, there was something so powerful about that storyline. Sorry, if you haven't watched The Magicians, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a magical show, so it's not like that much of a spoiler, but the the sort of like fluidity of sexuality that existed in that particular storyline and in and several others in that show, as somebody who has watched television for a long time craving for like a gay character, period, was so powerful to me because it really, uh, to me, it was like there is, pro- progress has happened here. The fact that these characters are as fluidly, like allowed to exist as fluidly as they are in this universe, granted it's magical, but still um, that doesn't exist here f- as much, I don't think, for Willow and Tara, you know? And that is mm-hmm. a product of where we were in time, but it's also a product of who the fuck is in the writer's room. We'll, we'll always come back there, right? It's like how many sure. people in the fucking writer's room are are queer or or know or are talking to queer people. Uh, so anyhow, they fight. They fight. Okay, so there are many signs of spring, right? The first blossom <laughs> of a flowering tree, mm. uh, the first songbird to alight and uh, chirp outside your house, uh, <laughs> a cluster of minions at your window <laughs> observing as you hang out at the dining table and come up with systems for your little sister slash mystical key uh, to do her chores and stuff. I'm so um, glad you made this jingle, Jenny. Detective Minions. Okay. I know that Buffy is going through a lot, but can we all just acknowledge what a shitty job she's doing uh, folding those dish towels? Oh my God. She is. They are. She's not so askew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not, she's not focusing. She's not. She's she's doing honestly. Actually, I'm glad you said that because she's kind of doing the same thing with her hands that she was doing with Professor Lillian and the slide projector. You know, she's just fidgeting. She can't keep her hands yeah. still and unoccupied because she's trying on new roles that she's never tried on before. She doesn't know how to like sit in them um, bodily or otherwise. Uh, mm. I. I want to give like a standing ovation to Michelle Trachtenberg for this performance. She um, captures, we talked about this a lot in the boiler room when Joanna Robinson and I did a a watch of um, My So-Called Life of the space that Claire Danes occupied where she 
was so like she could just become so childlike so quickly um in this way mm. like really straddling the line of like putting your your toes into teenage being a teenager um like grappling with like adulter issues and and what have you she's just lost her mom she's a mystical key she has a lot on her plate but then when buffy says to her they might take you away from me. The way that her face drops is like she's instantly this little kid and you see and you remember that she is, even though she's a mystical key, she is so little and she's so scared and it's heartbreaking and it's just a, a really brilliant performance. So good job, Michelle mm -hmm. Trachtenberg. Yeah. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my God, are you ready to go to the World Culture Fair, Jenny? <sighs> is anyone ever ready to go to the World Culture Fair? You know, this World Culture Fair is, um, we really like did a lot of freeze framing to find out what cultures were at the World Culture Fair. Here are the cultures. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready. A um, little bit of China. Mm-hmm. A little bit of India. Mm-hmm. A lot of cheerleaders. Yep. Oh, don't forget France. <laughs> France I missed. There's what a, do we see? It's literally like it's there's so we're going to talk a little bit about the the I know Jenny is very excited to talk about some of the research that we did with our producer Alba um on the Chinese dragon dance and the Chinese lion dance. Um I think we are have agreed that this is the dragon dance that we're getting here that we're seeing that. But outside of that there's a Buddha there's some flags of various um, nations. There's a mm -hmm. tiny replica of the Eiffel Tower and so many cheerleaders. And then lots of balloon archways, which are really expensive, just so you know. Well, we got one for prom once, and I was like, wow, these cost a lot of money. In all USA, <laughs> red, white, and blue <laughs> colors. So on the one hand, I'm thrilled that like no one is representing a culture that is not theirs we hope you know like I'm, I'm happy that like if these are the people who showed up and signed up for the world culture fair that they weren't like well we need more cultures so can you just like do other cultures i'm glad that didn't happen here at sunnydale college uh but it does it does kind of smack of like the props department like rating oh my god whatever they had on the lot and they were and like okay let's get this why? like statue and like, why? Why is the biggest question I have? Because if you're going to and this is kind of the, the criticism, like maybe like the, the marrow of most of the criticism with like how this show deals with um, culture, race, uh, is that like if 
if you're going to make the choice, then make it for a reason and, and actually for a reason, do some research, do the thing. Like you could have just made they you could have had them have a carnival. You could have Craft had them have fair carnival fried dough. Get some fucking Zeppelis up in here. Like it doesn't have to be it didn't have to be a world culture fair. And so like the I think it's the combination of choosing that and doing nothing with it. That is the like biggest piece of the issue here. Yes. So back at the magic box, we get a little cut and it's just a tiny little cut, but it's real cute. It reminds me of like my therapist telling me at one point, like you should have a little corner that's just yours to go to, Kristen. It'll make you feel safe and whole. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Willow's in her little corner with her pillows and her beautiful velvet dress. It's a sad beanbag magic pillow corner. It's cute. I like it. I mean, it would be cute under other circumstances, but she is. She's very sad. She's having a hard time. Yeah. We also see Giles hand Anya a cup of tea that he just that he's made both of them tea and he's handing Aww. her a cup that's like in the pan before you get to Willow in the corner of sadness and Aww. it's sweet. That is sweet. You know what jingle we haven't played in a damn long time. Giles is green fucking mug jingle and I think oh, we all yeah, deserve it. Oh yeah, he's green mugging it up this up. Well, it's a green mug song from the bottom of our heart. This very handsome glassware will answer every mug prayer and Giles can drink in style and Giles can drink in style. So we get to, of course, the part that we all dread getting to, which is where Glory sits down next to Tara, and we see their hands thread as though they're about to beautifully move another vending machine, but alas, no. No. It is Glory. Tara sees that it's Glory, and she says, is this seat taken? Ah! Cut to commercial. While we're on this commercial break, let me tell you what I learned about The dragon dance. The dragon, right, is a symbol of China and an important part of Chinese culture. Uh, It symbolizes wealth, power, and wisdom, and they're believed to bring good luck. The origin of the dragon dance can be dated back to the Han Dynasty, which ran from 206 BC to 220 AD. Back then, it was used in a ceremony for worshiping ancestors and praying for rain, then it gradually, over time, developed into an entertainment activity. Um... And then by the time we get to the Tang Dynasty and the Song Dynasty, which together ran from 618 to 1279, it had become a common ceremonial activity in festivals such as uh, Chinese New Year. The... Are you ready for some hell math? Uh, for some dragon math? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so the costume is uh, generally made of materials like grass, bamboo, paper, and cloth. Odd numbers of the dragon joints are regarded as auspicious. So people often make nine-jointed dragons, 11-jointed dragons, sometimes even a 29-jointed dragon. But dragons that have more than 15 joints are too heavy for the dance, so they're used for display. I I would like to learn more about sort of the odd number as auspicious uh, because, like, I know – uh, I didn't know about the dragon and I was fascinated by it. And something that I do know um, 
from my history as somebody who is Italian and has Italian, you know, aunts and uncles and a grandfather who came over from Italy, is that if you're Italian and you're drinking Zambuca, you put three coffee beans in. You never, ever put two. You always put three. And it is connected to it being an odd number that that's, that's where the luck comes from. That's where the life comes from. That's where the, so, and, and I'm just saying that because that happens. Odd to numbers like, just feel better, right? But like, but there's gotta be, I, somebody out there has stopped their car, pulled to the side of the road and is writing us a fucking email about like maybe <laughs> some, and maybe this is part of where it comes from. Like maybe what you're talking about, maybe, you know, but like, uh, where does it, is it like the gourd? Is it just everyone just understood all together that odd numbers were better than even? Mm, yeah, where does it all come from? Maybe it's like, oh no, the espresso beans, like if there's two of them, they'll pair together and there will be no espresso bean for me to commune with. But if there's three... <laughs> Two can hang out, and then I can hang out with the third. Well, the the Italian the the connection to uh, Italian, like I always, t there's a pretty easy line to draw from Italian to Catholic or Christian, or you, I mean, usually Catholic, and and so like I think there's the the trio of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's a three. There's a three, but but those things like are Catholicism, obviously, like like the whole the whole of Catholicism is rooted in religions that came way before for it. Uh, and so like, I just feel that if you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig, you're going to find some really interesting shit about, um, odd numbers. And I want to know more and I don't right now, but we can all go on the odd number journey together. Can I tell you that? Wow. <laughs> can I tell you that the record set for the longest dragon was <gasps> 5,605 <gasps> meters in Hong Kong. That breaks down to you. 18,389 feet, uh, you know, 0.11. <laughs> <laughs> Please, what's the right way we to We have say to play that. the fucking Hellmath jingle for your ass right now. Hellmath. Okay, so Jenny, thank you for um, some of that history. And uh, we're going to be doing more mailbags in the, in the main feed um, for many reasons. And one of them is that uh, we surprisingly do not know everything. And we would love to hear from some of you directly, um, especially if you have a history, um, you know, where you participated in a dragon dance or a lion dance or, you know, if this is part of your history, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk yeah. more about it. Um, okay, so... Here's something that, that we can all identify with, I think. Um, everybody wants fucking petrified hamsters, and they're never fucking happy with them, Jenny. I'm so... Relatable oh content. I what's, mean... What's... What's... Why? <laughs> what's anybody doing? What recipe, what spell calls for petrified hamsters? I don't How buy do you... it. This feels like uh, an invention of convenience. How do you petrify a hamster? Threaten to take its food away, am I right? <laughs> okay, so petrified wood forms when fallen trees get washed down a river and buried under layers of mud ash from volcanoes and other materials. Over millions of years, these... Mi oh, God, sorry, wait. So you see what I'm saying, though? Over millions of years. So are you telling me that in order to petrify a hamster, you have to cover it in mud and dust and soot and whatever the hell else you said and Ooh. water Ooh. and then millions Ooh. of years pass? No, you could get the hamster to look at Medusa. Oh. Bam. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Anyway, moving right along, um, Giles and Willow. Ooh. Or a basilisk. <laughs> okay, I'm done. 
Giles and Willow are having a conversation about arguments. It's very sweet. I, I love, um, you know, we don't get a ton of like Willow Giles bonding moments these days. And and they have such a long history and they love each other. Mm-hmm. And it's very sweet to see Willow go to Giles and be like, I'm really upset. Like we fought. We never fought until today. And there's this like, this exchange is heartbreaking in like the Buffy way where Giles says like, don't worry, like the quarrel is over. And then you'll know that you can fight without the world ending. And it's like, womp, womp. Like, we know how this is actually going to turn out. And Willow isn't going to learn that she can have a fight without the world ending because this is going to end. This episode is going to end with Tara, like, really, really horribly attacked by Glory. Um, And so her first, like, lesson in what happens when you fight with your girlfriend is something horrible. Like, reminiscent of, like, Buffy sleeping with Angel and finding out that, like, he was actually a soulless vampire because of that. So I just don't love the lessons that these Sunnydale kids are learning. Yeah. But I'm ready to get real sexy with Rupert Giles right now because... Yeah, this is a good scene for Giles. I don't know that I have ever found him as attractive as when he opens the door. He No, he goes over to the door and he says this too. And then he opens the door, slams it into the minion's head, shell pass. <laughs> Anya is, is feels the same as I do. She's like, wow. <laughs> Hot. Uh, Giles is so commanding with this minion. Like, I don't even know what's come over him, but it is. Grab your fans, you know? Grab your little, those yeah. fans that have the water bottle attached to them so you can mist yourself because, whoo. Yeah, this is some serious ripper business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the minion's going on and on about how he'll never talk. You can't make me talk. <laughs> Glorificus. <laughs> and Giles is like very slow and steady and is like, without missing a single beat, is like, Willow, Anya, grab uh, something from over there. And the second their backs are turned, it's just like minion scream, minion compliance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very efficient. <laughs> He picked up some of Drusilla's uh, torture, Angel and Drusilla's torture techniques, you think? Oh, no. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we find out from this minion who, well, this minion is akin to Wesley in um, Bad Girls. He's like, take whatever you want. Take whatever you need. (laughs) Don't hurt me. Um, And we find out, they find out that Glory thinks that Tara is the key. And Willow, Willow goes, I mean, a lot of credit to Willow because, you know, some of us in the face of terror just, you know, deconstruct and fall to the floor and some of us activate and Willow really activates in this moment. She is like barking orders at everybody. She's grabbing the things she needs to grab. Um, and she she's... grabs her like black long <laughs> coat that I think has kind of like a feather boa yeah. type <laughs> collar. I don't know if she needed that. I agree. <laughs> she probably didn't need that. <laughs> but off she goes. Off she goes. And then the return to Glory and Tara on this bench. This is brutal. Last episode, last week, uh, we talked a little bit about like the the sort of brutal view and vision of Spike's face after he was beaten by Glory. This is an mm-hmm. extension of that. This is like... We are no longer, um, you know, just seeing like, oh, no, somebody's fallen down or like, oh, no, a, uh, you know, a stake and the vampire turns to dust. Like they're really going very graphically to show us the violence that Glory is bringing to the Scoobies. Um, and like we're in real danger here. And this is just disgusting. She breaks like all the bones in her hand and Ugh. squeezes them so like she's she's crushing her hand so much that it's like bleeding on the bench. It's really, Whoa. really awful. Um, but yeah, 
Tara, you know, who we already love. Um, there's, there's a few things more powerful to me in a character than like, you know, watching what we saw from Spike uh, last episode and what we're seeing from Tara here. The willingness to sacrifice your own pain um, and potentially your own life for the, the greater good, which is essentially what this is all about, right? That they're trying to save the world. And so are you willing to put yourself on the line? The fucking minion? <laughs> Not at all. Tara, 100%. Um, she's not going to tell Glory who the fucking key is. We also in this scene get the first explanation of what exactly happens to you when Glory puts her fingers in your brain. And yeah. it sounds so bad. Yeah, you know, Glory and, and Claire Kramer does a really great job with this um, monologue. And you can you can tell from her delivery that this is... Sort of like it almost seems like she has like a symbiotic relationship to um, the people whose brains she's sucking in the sense of like when she goes farther and farther away from like eating, we'll call it because I think that's what she she says she's hungry, right? Um, She's getting deeper and deeper basically into this feeling. You think your hand hurts? Imagine what you'd feel with my fingers wiggling in your brain. It doesn't kill you. What it does is make you feel like you're in a noisy little dark room, naked and ashamed. And there are things in the dark that need to hurt you because you're bad. Little pinching things that go in your ears and and crawl on the inside of your skull. And you know if the noise and the crawling would stop, that you could remember how to get out. but you never, ever will. Again, she's telling Tara what to expect, but she's saying it from a place of I've been there. And so you you kind of learn or it's confirmed more so, like you said, Jenny, that um, this is what it feels like for the people that she is attacking. And also it is what it feels like for her the longer she goes without feeding. Oof. It's not great, Kristen. It's not. Um, and to, like we said, Tara, you know, she she also learns that Tara is not the key by licking Tara's blood. She can taste that Tara is, um, you know, a human, Just not a, a key, a, yeah. a witch, um, but not a key. And Willow comes. This is like heart wrenching. Willow is like running, running, running through this crowd of people. She's trying so hard to get. Oh my God, do you know what it reminds me of actually? A bit is um, spoilers for Killing Eve, but um, the first season of. Wait. Okay, first season, fine. first season of Killing Eve when um, she is, she goes to that nightclub in Germany and her partner oh, is yeah, Bill. Bill is through the crowd and she's just, there's so many people and she can't move fast enough to get to him and she witnesses um, I'll mm. just say what happens to him so that I'll, I won't completely spoil it but this is that it's like, yeah. you know, Willow is desperate to get to Tara quick enough but there are so many people and a full dragon dance happening between her and Tara Tara and she screams and she's like Tara and then she says no as she sees it happen and it's just like Allison Hannigan squared cubed I don't even know it's like it's like too much it's Allison Hannigan to the Allison Hannigan's power um with this with the scream and it's it's so devastating and glory is gone 
and they production gladly i'm so glad that they invested the money in this shot because it is so beautiful that um willow is holding tara um and tara is saying you know it's dirty it's all dirty echoing some of what glory's told us and the camera just like goes up into the sky and you see them from above and you see willow Mm. holding tara and it is just so much yeah how dare you rebecca rand kirshner yeah i agree how fucking dare you Okay, so well, well, we'll add some levity to that devastation because what I love in the next scene is that they're at the fucking hospital, the same doctor. It's this doctor is very busy at the Sunnydale uh, hospital. And they're like, Tara needs to stay for the night. And the doctor looks at Willow and looks at Tara. Classic. Looks at Willow and looks at Tara and is like, Hi, you guys, uh, sisters. Sister. Hey. Um, and like, you know, there's a lot of things I'm thankful for about the like time in which I live uh, as a queer person where I can speak to other queer people and even have consumed media that called out this phenomena to know that um, that this happens to queer women across the globe. Um, people just see a connection but because of the heteropatriarchy they cannot piece it together they must be sisters i always hear i'll play you what i hear and wipe the speakers up before you pack yes maureen well hurry back sisters we're close Willow has a great answer to she's your sister. Uh, she says, she's my everything, which mm. nail it. Nailed it, Willow. Mm. Um, Xander and Giles are like, we hate the hospital. It's dreadful. And Anya's like, yeah, it's like communism. <laughs> Fucking Anya. Anya, no. No, no. Anya has one good moment in this entire episode, and it'll happen in, in the hospital briefly. But we're not there quite yet. This particular scene in the hospital ends with Willow saying, I'm so scared. Um, and it sort of cuts mm-hmm. us to, into Spike's, um, where Spike and Dawn are. But I, I just like yeah, over- Spike is like babysitting Dawn in like the caverns of Sunnydale or something. <laughs> yeah, to keep to keep her hidden. She's a mystical key. Everybody's yep, after her. Yep, stalactites, stalagmites, mystical keys. <laughs> Potato, potato, mystical keys. Uh-huh. Um, she, the thing that I wanted to say though, before we get to, um, Spike calling Dawn a platelet, which is maybe my favorite thing ever, uh, is, is Amber Benson and Amber Benson's acting and performance in this, um, and, and the way that she gives us Tara after the attack of, uh, Glory. She does a really, really powerfully beautiful job um of of like basically gutting us all and and like really bringing the severity of the situation to the forefront um and yeah. uh, i just think yeah i mean amber benson is is great and she does a lot of great things she's going to keep doing a lot of great things but this mm-hmm. episode um i just feel she is phenomenal so onwards to the platelet dawn is scared of herself dawn feels mm. fully responsible for what has happened to Spike, you know, he's mm-hmm. covered in, in bruises and has a limp. Uh, what's happened to, to Tara? Like all this stuff from her perspective is happening because of her, which is, oh, which I know, is so it's, sad. And I'd, I'd actually like to, um, with your consent, Jenny, play um, Dawn's monologue here because I think it's really, it's powerfully delivered and it's just really beautiful in a devastating way. Absolutely. I'm like a lightning rod for pain and hurt 
and everyone around me suffers and dies. I must be something so horrible to cause so much pain and evil. Rot. Cute, cute, cute uh, line from Spike here. Just like a lovely little uh, way that he couches this. And he, you know, he tells her immediately she's not evil. And she astutely says, okay, I accept what you're saying, but I know that I can't be good. And he just says, well, I'm not good and I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like... Sometimes it's really what you need to hear, you know, just like level with me, man. Like, I'm not good. Maybe you're not good. But like, we're here in this stalagmite, stalactite cave and maybe it'll be all right. (laughs) Yeah. Good person for Don to be with for this convo. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So Tara's going to spend the night in the hospital. Willow's concerned that she might not be able to sleep alone. And this is the moment I was talking about from Anya. You can sleep with me. And then the whole room is like a record scratch. (laughs) She says, well, that came out a lot more lesbian than I had meant it to. (laughs) It's a very, very sweet. We need a laugh. You know, I'm sure many of you uh, have spent time, uh, Jenny, I'm sure that you've spent time in hospital settings where the mood is dark and bleak and like you also if you've been in those moments those spaces and had those experiences you know that you also laugh harder than like you do anywhere else like because it's just you're you're sort of in this like extreme emotional place and um and so I think we need Anya we always need Anya in a hospital setting I'm glad that she's jumping off the communism is bad train and jumping on to the you can sleep with me Willow train (laughs) yeah Willow wants to kill Glory understandably Buffy's like you can't she'll kick your ass Willow's Mm -hmm. like okay but she does the eyeball emoji in her mind. Uh, and she's off to raid the magic box, ripping through books, daggers, etc. Light magic? Uh, no, no. Gray magic? No. Dark magic? No, no, no. Darkest magic. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She cuts the like lock open on this book and it flies open with all of its darkest magic flapping and <laughs> fluttering doing in a, a flapping magical breeze with her hands. This is this is like uh-huh. definitely the book that Bette Midler has in Hocus Pocus. It probably has a little blinking eye on the back of it. Yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. And but but in all seriousness, uh, Willow is fucking pissed, and she. Wow. Okay. So let's just get here, right? She takes her book. She takes her little like old school doctor satchel with all of her knives and various accoutrements to Glory's. Glory's feeling a bit buzzy. Uh, You and I now have both watched Mm. What We Do in the Shadows. This reminded me of some of the lore there that like when you, when a vampire in What We Do in the Shadows uh, drinks the blood of a drunk person, they get drunk. And so Glory here is buzzed from uh, Tara's powers. Willow shakes the motherfucking entire apartment building. She comes black eyes floating through the fucking door, feet like cocked inward toward each other. Just fucking what? Wow. Uh, Yeah. Uh, She just like fires some lightning bolts directly into glory after uh, holding her in a tar-like spell. She screams. I owe you pain and shoots lightning bolts at glory. This is 
serious shit. We've been talking about Willow's magic for a long while. We've been talking about it getting stronger and stronger. This is by far the strongest we have ever seen her magic. She is she is toe to toe with a fucking god. Okay, look, firing lightning bolts into the hell god that ate the mind of your lover is queer culture. I feel <laughs> like yes. Uh, woo! There it is, folks. There's your sound bite. Um. So Willow has this spell, and so I wanna. I'm gonna tease something here because we don't have it in place yet, but we're we're trying to get this in place because witchcraft, you know, it's seeming to get a little more present in the show. And um, neither Jenny nor I are um, established, experienced witches. Jenny isn't a witch at all. I don't think you are. Um, I feel uh, a bit witchy, but I'm very untrained, unpracticed, and unstudied. Uh, and so what we're what we're looking for is to hopefully get. Uh, a witch who will do some segments with us to really dig in and talk about some of what we're seeing here, the accuracy or probably inaccuracy of um, some of the ways in which witchcraft is portrayed. Um, We don't have that person here today, but um, I did a little research just because I was curious into this, um, like the first incantation she says when she, when she spills on through the door, she says something like Mm -hmm. Kali, Hera, Kronos, Thonic um, is the first list of, of maybe gods. I didn't know. Uh, And then she says, uh, Cassiel, is that how you pronounce it? Um, By your second star. So I looked up all of those. And I want to tell you something, Jenny. This is the world culture fair of witchcraft spells because... Oh, no. Well, and, and I don't know. This is why we need a witch um, to talk to us about this because I don't know what witchcraft pulls from and, you know, and like how it brings together what, Jenny, you're pointing at me. What, what, do you, what would you like to say? Is Does Kali fly around in a cauldron or am I thinking perhaps of Baba Yaga? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about a cauldron, actually. Kali is a Hindu goddess. Um, and in, ah. in Kali's earliest appearance, uh, she was known as the destroyer of evil forces. Um, nice. So, so great. But then you move on to Hera and Kronos. Um, they're both Greek uh, in oh, origin. Man. So Hera, Hera is, yeah, Hera is a Greek goddess, um, whose focus is women, marriage, family, childbirth. Kronos is a Greek god, god of the harvest. And then Thonic, so I looked up the way that they spell it, like if you go to the Buffy wiki, they spell it T-H-O-N-I-C, and I couldn't find anything, but if you put a C in front of it, that's what, uh, the internet advised me to do, you will get that this is a word, um, that means, like, subterranean, and, and it was used to refer to, um, the deities and spirits of the underworld sort of like so it's not like a specific and again you know write into us buffering the vampire slayer at gmail.com and please correct us let us know what we're missing then you get to to cassiel if i'm saying that right i should because it was in the damn show and and cassiel is is like you know a lot of things but one of the seven archangels is referenced in in the jewish faith the christian faith the islamic faith and my favorite part about cassiel is that the name can be translated to mean one of two things, or maybe one of many, but the two that I read um, is speed of God or, and this is where I get real excited, God is my anger. Wow. Right? Sexy. <laughs> Very sexy. So anyway, this is like a, an amalgamation of uh, all different, you know, faiths, histories, cultures, origins. And I, I, I'm not ready to say, you know, that, that witchcraft doesn't do this, but I, I just want to, I want to know. So, you know, write into us if you are that witch. Um, we'll, we'll happily hmm. uh, take applications from our, our witch listenership um, because we want to learn more. We want to know more. Well, you know what's interesting about Hera? Uh, you know, Hera is the wife of Zeus. Mm. Uh, and 
Zeus was always getting up to some bullshit, like he'd like transform into a magnificent, beautiful ox, and then he would like mate with a mortal woman or a big sexy swan, and he would mate with a mortal woman. Or sometimes I think he took human forms, but basically he was always banging mortal chicks uh-huh. via a human or animal disguise. <laughs> and then Hera would invariably find out about it and then do something terrible to the women. She like never to, the to my recollection, she never punished Zeus. <gasps> she only punished the women, which seems wrong, especially since she's like, Hera. you know, all about like family, etc. All of your internalized misogyny, but mm-hmm. you gotta figure that out. Talk to Anya. She's like the reverse yes. of Anya. Okay, so I'm glad that you told us that that bit, Jenny. It was very <laughs> delightful. Um, okay, so back to Spike's very briefly, but very importantly, because Spike is once again our sort of like intuitive voice here. I mean, guys, Buffy, of course Willow's gonna on. go fucking kick Glory's ass or try to. It doesn't matter if her life is on the line. And, um, you know, he says, I'd do it, right? Person, person I loved. And there's this like awkward, <laughs> remember when we kissed? Last yeah. Episode or, on? Uh, <laughs> um, in theory, anyway, I can't think of anyone right now, but, and then Dawn, who is coming in hot as like the show's Spike Jr., I think. Yeah. The unexpected, emotionally intelligent mm. uh, little sidekick says, Think Buffy if Glory did that to me. And Buffy's like, What? I Having know that. For I the don't first like that. This is. This is dumb. It is. It's dumb that she didn't get there on her own. It but is. also, and she's she, got a lot going on. Like, I'm sorry, but also she shouldn't... I, I can totally understand, like, the parallel of, like, the depth of love that Buffy has for Dawn is is parallel to the depth of love that Willow has for Tara. But also, like, it's not like Buffy has never loved before. She's literally loved an ancient vampire and sent him to hell. She has the depth of understanding of what happens when you're in love. Like, come on. Like, is... I, whatever. I agree. I don't, I don't love that. Um, but anyway, back at Glory's... Willow shouts, shatter. Now that spell I can get behind. <laughs> the mirror yeah. shatters. Very self-explanatory. Um, And then before retaliating, Glory rips her own dress off of her body. She couches it in like, I don't care about this. Power move. Power move. She fucking rips her dress right off. Backhands Willow. Uh, she's like, bag of tricks. Willow's like, bag of knives. This is a great fight this is a tasty delectable treat of a fight yeah it's really great uh love seeing uh you know we see willow like starting to lose power like the flying knives and the snake spell that kind of disintegrates but Mm -hmm. she still manages even when fucking glory's got a hold of her she manages to spit in glory's face Oof. nice okay and then we get this sick ass entrance where glory's like you know what they uh used to do to witches they used to crucify them, and then she's going to stab Willow, which is not crucifixion, uh, but it's so weird. But then her wrist is grabbed by Buffy, who says, they used to bow down to gods. Glory laughs oh in God. this maniacal way. She is so delighted and tickled to mm-hmm. see Buffy. This kind of like really strongly reminds me of the way that Callisto, who is who mm. is Xena's sort of like... Uh, n- one of her nemeses, you mm-hmm. know, and and who like has a lot of the same power that Xena has, but who is way, you know, just like totally disconnected. Like, her her whole reason for being is to try to kill Xena, but she also feels this like 
inexplicable closeness to Xena. Mm. You know, she's completely right. obsessed. Right. Uh, and and her kind of like mode of operation is she's either screaming or cackling in ways where you're just like sort of like you're not even trying to do that it's just like flying out of you uh as a as a you know instinctive response to the fact that you're interacting with this person who you have like it seems kind of like every possible biggest feeling about yeah and glory kind of uh is echoing that to me totally totally and i also get like a sense from her of you know, like as immortals and people not of this world um, appreciate humans, like in a almost like a good place way, like, you know, Ted Danson's character on The Good Place, how he was always like, fucking humans, man. Like you just keep astounding <laughs> me. Like it has a little, a little yeah. of like that flavor to it, which I really enjoy too. Um, but it's, oh, Claire Kramer, just delightful delivery of that laugh. Um, and yeah. You know, Buffy scoots out with Willow. Um, Willow puts her in tar or something, like uh, air tar. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Not to be confused with the air guitar. Uh, and right. <laughs> Love speaking seeing of- Buffy kick the huge couch across the room and then and then Glory just like flip it up on its end with her hand. And what a testament to Claire Kramer that we can have just watched her do what she did to Tara and still... Have a blast watching mm-hmm. this fight yeah, scene because totally. she's just such a such a delight. Yeah, she's she's fantastic in this in this role. Um, and Jenny, I, I beg of you before we get to salami and peanut butter, we must get into the sexual tension awards because it's going to get real unsexy when we pair those two items together on a sandwich. Are you saying that Don salami and peanut butter is not one of your nominations? It is not. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to another glorious, no pun intended, round of the Buffering the Vampire Slayer Sexual Tension Awards. We have gathered some delightful and uh, succulent possible groupings. You can vote for them. Here is what your options are. (laughs) In the first slot, we've got Glory and mimosas. Hasn't mm. she earned a relaxing bubble bath with a, her favorite beverage full of vitamins, as she exactly. says? Okay, in your second slot, come on, it had to be you, Anya and Willow. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever nominated Anya and Willow before, but we definitely will be nominating them again. And if this is truly the beginning, I'm so happy to be getting on the train right yes. now. In the third slot, we've got Glory and Willow because Glory ripped that dress off. She wore a tearaway dress. Well, I guess all dresses are tearaway dresses when you're a god, but still. <laughs> and in the fourth slot, can I can it just be me? Can it be me and Giles? Yes. In the fourth <laughs> slot, we have Giles and Kristen. Yes! Kristen's into it. She'd like to sign up, please. Thank you. Vote me. If you vote me. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to make your voice heard in our democracy, please find this episode's sexual attention award poll 
on our Twitter at BufferingCast and, you know, place your vote, please. Yeah. And uh, since we're going weekly for the for these like section of three episodes, uh, you can only vote for five days because I need results before we put oh up the next episode. God. So you better get on over there. Yeah. Uh, the polls will be up five days when we're going weekly like this uh, so that we can gather the data appropriately. Okay. <laughs> All right. Salami now and peanut I'm butter. Fi- now I'm really in the mood for salami and peanut <laughs> of butter. Course. If you could, ble- you, what you're all missing out on is the just delightful shoulder roll, <laughs> shoulder shimmy hey, that went along with salami and peanut gotta butter. Gotta loosen up Jen. for a sandwich that's sexy. <laughs> um, so I guess they're packing up Tara's dorm. Yeah. She's gonna, I guess, probably live move with in with Willow. Uh, Willow? That's what that's what we um, can uh, like assume, and, and it's also confirmation because I think we were like a little wiggly on like we know that we we know that Tara has her own room, but does she? Like we haven't seen it, and this is like really, um, I think the only time we've seen this particular room of Tara's. But yeah, it seems like they're probably going to move Tara in with Willow. I don't know where else she would go. She's not going to go to cousin Beth's house. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um. So this is heartbreaking, you know, and and. In, like, all of the ways, in the ways that, like, we don't like to see Willow hurt, we don't like to see Tara suffer, and also um, the ways in which our close friends, uh, chosen family, um, shows up for us in times of, like, grief and trauma, and, you know, Don offering to help feed Tara, and Buffy being super present there for Willow and Tara is... So many things, and I think, you know, not to, like, layer too much into this, Jenny, but I also think that, like, when you're in a queer couple um, and you're facing any kind of, like, trauma or um, loss or what have you, um, then your family shows up for you the way that you know they would show up for you if you weren't in a queer pairing. There's, like, an extra level of power to it um, that even though... Right. Like even though you knew that like they loved you and they accepted you and they believed your love, like you didn't really, really know until they showed up for you the way that you know they'd show up for you if you weren't queer. Um, So there's just yeah, it's it's really powerful. Now at the end of the episode, Willow has, unfortunately, Mm. what she didn't have. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the episode, what she clashed with Buffy and Tara mm-hmm. over, she is experiencing a type yeah. of of loss, right? Yeah. And and uh, and loss of control. Yeah. Uh, and it's so brutal. Yeah. Buffy says to Willow, I understand. And Willow says, I know you do in a way that like encapsulates everything <laughs> that you just said, Jenny. Um, <laughs> and then... She turns to Tara and she's like, hear that? You're my always, Um, which is sort of the end cap on the fight that they were having, right? That like, will you be here? Will you always be mine? Um, Do I have to be afraid? And so the, yeah, Jenny, oh God, I can't believe you have something in your eye again. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a lot. Um, It's really a lot. And just when you're ready to like have this like heart wrenching and heartfelt moment together with this group of four people um the entire fucking wall blows down can't have anything nice when glory's around she rips the wall off the fucking dorm (laughs) and she's wearing pink she's wearing pink which is like a real choice you know we always see glory Mm. in red and she's like i think she knows she's getting closer to the moment she's got to change it up keep us on her toes yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, and unfortunately, as she's standing there in the gaping hole she just ripped out of the wall, mm-hmm. Tara looks up at Dawn and uh, says, wow, look at this this pure green energy. And Gloria's like, I know what is made of pure green energy, and then the episode is over. Oof. And we're like, no! Yeah, so... Here we go into season five. It's all ending. It's getting intense. Are you ready? Cool. That's this week's song. I'm (laughs) so ready. It's a good song. (sighs) Well, uh, Jenny, who are you? Who Who even knows? I know. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not watching Buffy, I am writing and recording songs. You can learn more about me Hear some of those songs at JennyOwenYoungs.com. I also, this is cool. Spotify has just mm. started a new thing where uh, they've they've created songwriter pages for people who, as I do, write songs uh, that end up on on releases for other people. So you can now find my Jenny Owen Youngs songwriter page written by Jenny Owen Youngs. And you can also find my, you know, Jenny Owen Young's artist page where you can listen to all my songs that I sing uh, all, all over there on Spotify. Uh, you can give me a shout on Twitter at Jenny Owen Youngs. And uh, you can listen to me talk about another petite blonde protagonist on my other podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations. Do you think that they'll make me a songwriter page? Just because like, I, yeah. have, I have a few, you know, like. My uh, number one, my number one collaborator, they list it like in order of like how many songs you've written with a given <laughs> artist. My number one collaborator is Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Nice. <laughs> My name is Kristen Russo, and you can learn more about what I'm doing when I'm not watching uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and talking about it here, um, Buffering the Vampire Slayer, on my website. It's kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. You can use that spelling to also find me on Twitter and on Instagram. You know, say hi to me or whatever if you feel like it. No pressure. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. You can drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at area code 216-30-B-U-F-F-Y. Hell yes. And you can support us and the work that we do here in so, so, so many ways. You can uh, join our Patreon. That would be fun. Um, We do all sorts of things over there. We do Buffy watches. You get the songs in advance. Jenny makes chord sheets. We do Zoom hangs. There's a book club. Jenny does Xena watches. There's concerts. (sighs) It's a great time. (laughs) You can find out about the Patreon uh, family at BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Just click on Patreon. We have sweatshirts and tank tops and they say why are men um very relatable content uh among other patriarchy smashing merchandise over in our store also use that website bufferingthevampireslayer.com click on shop and you will find it we have a shop here in the u.s and we also have a shop over in the uk um for those of you who live overseas you can get cheaper shipping over there so that's fun too um or you could just like rate and review us if you feel like it please and till next time. Uh, uh, yeah. You messed with the wrong witch. Now you're going down, bitch. You messed with the wrong witch. Now you're going down, bitch.
Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.